Hello, and welcome to the Brookwood Church Ministries podcast. My name is Josh Masters, and I'm one of the associate care pastors here at Brookwood Church. The message that you're about to hear was given by our adult discipleship pastor, Mark Taylor. This podcast was recorded at our Marriage Transformers class here at Brookwood Church. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you to take steps in strengthening your own marriage. Well, um, intimacy is uh, it's something that uh, all of us long for, and I'm just guessing uh, with, a, with a room this size, a uh, number of people in it, that you've brought all different kinds of things in here with you tonight, <clears throat> that there are uh, some of you in here who uh, are experiencing intimacy, and you're, you're doing really well, and you're communicating well, you've overcome some challenges, and you came here for some enrichment, uh, some, some direction, some further uh, conversation on intimacy because things are going really well for you. But my guess is that there are uh, a handful, if not more, couples in here who've uh, maybe plateaued, uh, hit, hit a wall, or maybe have been stuck or uh, distant for some time. And so you're here tonight, maybe even with a little bit of hesitation, wondering, is there really anything more we can do to move in that direction? And some of you here... Um, I'm imagining uh, there's some, been some significant fracture uh, and wound, and you've brought in some pain that's underneath there, if you're honest about what you brought in here. So I don't know exactly what you anticipated uh, happening here tonight uh, when you signed up for this event and said, hey, let's, let's go to this. I don't know if uh, the one spouse talked to the other into coming or it was a mutual agreement. There's all different kinds of things happening. What I want to do here... Um, this evening is pr- provide some some direction and some hope that hopefully covers uh, a lot of different situations. Let me just give you, I didn't give you any space in your booklet, which I am going to be walking through, but I want to give you some introductory comments uh, before I start talking about intimacy that I think are helpful to set the stage for this evening. And the first one is this, is that God is greater Whatever you've brought in here tonight, whatever uh, past experiences you've had with your spouse or even a previous spouse, if, if you're in that situation, whatever you've brought in here, whatever hopes you have, whatever disappointments you have, whatever wounds you guys have suffered, whatever it is, you need to know that God is greater than all of that. Your hope for more and your desire, maybe you came in here lighthearted, I don't mean to Um, put disappointment in there then. If you came in here, you just need to know that God is greater than all of that. And that's helpful to remember that he's bigger than all of our stuff we've brought in here. Uh, And secondly, there is more. You need to know that uh, uh, there is more intimacy no matter what you've experienced. Um, In many ways, everything in this life is only partial until we uh, pass into glory. And so this is when things become full and somehow we are over here and moving in this direction where uh, intimacy is here and glory will be here. Our experience of Jesus and hope and life and forgiveness is here and we are on this journey and there's this gap between where we are now. And so in some ways... um, 
everything in this life is partial. Your, your feeling significant is always falls short. You're uh, wanting to make an impact in your family. It always falls short. There's a gap in here, but you need to know there's more. There's more. One of the things that comes against us as we're sitting here hoping and uh, knowing deep down inside that God has for us over here is some, some, one of the things that comes against us is a complacency. And many of you brought that in here tonight with a sense of, I'm just going to settle for what it is right now. I don't know how, how many times you've maybe done that in your own journey yourself with career, with work, with parenting, and in your marriage where uh, you're like, just, okay, let's, we, we can just maintain here. And you need to know that God is greater and there is more. There is more intimacy. Uh, and, um, it's, and maybe that also gives you um, a, a little bit of permission to, to be okay with some of the loneliness that's there because we're not here. Uh, you and your spouse aren't here yet, and so some of the loneliness and disappointment and conflict and challenge that you're facing over here, it's just where we live in the sense of brokenness, and it's in those moments of even hoping for more, whether it's a negative experience or a positive experience, whatever it is here, it's in those specific moments and emotions and what we do with them that help us move here. But there is more. There is more. God is greater. There is more. I want to read um, a couple of a couple of places from uh, one of the greatest uh, love poems ever written, and it's the Song of Songs. It's uh, one of my favorite books partly because it's not overtaught on, and so every time I open it up, it's always fresh again. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and part of the nature of the Song of Songs is the, uh, the there's several conversations going on. The, the woman will talk to the man, and the man will talk to the woman, and then the, the, bride, the bride's will come around, and, the, and then the ladies will come around, and it's this conversation that's happening. And so it starts out with a young woman saying, kiss me, and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How fragrant your cologne, your name which is your character, your name is like its spreading fragrance. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. You might get a little PG-13 tonight. <laughs> then the young man responds, like a, like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. That's in the Bible. It's okay. <laughs> he, he escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Can you notice the passion and the connection and the admiration, uh, the the passion between the, the young man and the young woman? There is more. There is more, and for some of you, you've experienced that recently with your spouse, and for some of you, that's more of a distant memory from a wedding day long ago uh, that maybe never came to what you thought it was going to be, but there is more. Uh, This is what God had in mind for us, uh, even though it's partial. So uh, God is greater. There is more. Uh, Two more thoughts. Uh, Let go of any pressure that you've brought in here tonight. Some of you maybe have put a bunch of pressure on this evening to fix something or to, 
transpire something in your marriage. And I would just say that tonight is a step in the journey. Intimacy is a journey. And so breathe. It's, it's okay. Hopefully tonight it could potentially be a, a turning point uh, for you in your marriage. It, 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 hopefully it will be that, but just release any pressure for the need for this to, to have on. And so, so you can have open hands to what God wants to speak in here tonight. I will fall short of adequate in several, uh, most everything I say will fall just short, but there will be something that God wants to speak to you personally. And I encourage you, as uh, Tim did, to write that down. Those will be the, the fuel, the information, the uh, central of attention for, the, for future conversations between you and God and your spouse. The best thing that can happen tonight is that uh, I say something that God speaks to you uh, in such a way that would continue a conversation uh, that would come out of tonight and send you guys in a new direction and a deeper direction with some further, further thought. So let go of any pressure you may have on tonight. And then finally, release any pressure you may have on your spouse tonight. What I say tonight is not, a f- um, the information that I share is not fuel to support the point you've been trying to make against your spouse for the last month or year. Uh, any, uh, there needs to be some release of any pressure for the, that person to get it. I hope she heard that part. I hope he got that part that he just said. Um, it is amazing how much uh, pressure we bring into our marriages and into our uh, connection with each other every day. And uh, one of my favorite newer books, uh, Love and War, um, John and Stacy Eldridge, uh, he says, I, I don't think most of us have any idea how much pressure we bring into our marriages. There's the pressure one of you feels uh, from the other to be happy. There's the pressure for the extended, uh, to love the extended family. There's, there's the pressure uh, to be accepted by the other person's friends. Christian couples often feel the added pressure to have a model marriage. There's the pressure a woman puts on a man to climb the ladder, the pressure a man puts on a woman to be beautiful. Uh, there's pressure to make Christmas magical. There's pressure to make vacations magical. And so you have to like repeat those same traditions every year, hoping it's going to be this. There's a lot of pressure. And just to release some of that, let it be what it is, and then you can take steps forward. So what we're going to do tonight, uh, after those introductory thoughts, uh, I'm going to, uh, in just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And then we are going to, I'm going to present some, some broad anchoring truths about intimacy and God's design for marriage to give us some foundational concepts, uh, some perspective on what's happening here. And really, it's the process of what can happen in our marriages. And then I want to move to some really specific um, ideas and concepts that have practical steps to help us understand what intimacy is, how to move in that direction. Uh, we'll talk about communication, conflict. Um, really, several of the things are going to apply to relationships all around us. Um, and so hopefully tonight you will be drawn into the mystery and beauty of intimacy and also have some concrete practical thoughts and steps that you can take out of this evening. Um, and so uh, for the next hour or so while I'm talking, I am going to be asking, pressing in a bit, going into some deep waters into each of you um, in terms of what I say and the questions I ask. And this, uh, it's going to require you to engage with the words and the thoughts that I'm saying for it to help you uh, as you leave here. So it will be uh, potentially a little um, heavier draining in terms of trying to process through some stuff. But once we get those things moving, uh, it helps out a lot. So let's, uh, let's pause for a moment and pray. God, we thank you for, 
for these quiet moments. And we recognize that you are here with us. And God, we say yes to all that you have in mind for us tonight. God, we say yes to all that you had in mind when you created marriage. I pray that you would remove any distractions in our minds and in our hearts from hearing your voice tonight. And Father, I pray you would speak personally, clearly, tenderly, passionately to each person here tonight and tell each of us what you want us to hear. Father, I pray that your spirit would break through obstacles and things that are in the way that cause us to miss out on what you have for us. We pray you would break through those obstacles. And Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with hope, fill our minds with direction and next steps. We say yes and invite you here into this conversation. We need you to be a part of this in a way beyond maybe we even understand and know. And so we say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, page one in your booklet, God's Design for Marriage. This is the process of what can happen in your marriage. Uh, and the first, the first part of God's design for marriage, and this comes out of several places in the scriptures. It comes out a lot of from my own experience personally in marriage, and it comes out quite a bit from, uh, from the last 16-plus years I've had in ministry, um, both with some counseling as well as discipleship uh, in, in the, in and outside, inside and outside the church. Uh, and the first is this. God's design for marriage is that it is a taste. It's a taste of both heaven and hell. And I don't say that flippantly or to be funny or to be sarcastic. If we think about it, if we are broken human beings with all kinds of stuff in here that's unresolved and we get together in such a way that the Bible describes as two becoming one, your marriage will be the place where you experience the darkest parts of you beyond any other relationship you have and your marriage has the potential to allow you to experience the beauty and the light beyond what you can ever know in other relationships because of the nature of the union of marriage. Your marriage has the potential to draw you to what we will one day enjoy forever and also cause us to flee from what, thankfully, we won't have to taste in its fullness, the darkness. It should give us a taste of hope and horror, if we're honest, like no other relationship. It will bring us incredible joy. You know moments of ecstasy you've had and delight and beauty and yet also deep sorrow and loneliness. You will see if you haven't already, and let's just be honest with ourselves, I see my own destitution and sinfulness in ways that I don't get to see in a lot of other relationships because of the closeness. You can only hide for so long. <laughs> Marriage gives me the need for the gospel in a very unique and most profound way. One writer compares marriage to whitewater rafting on the highest rapids, both exciting and terrifying all in the same moment. It is a taste of both heaven and hell. 
Secondly, God's design for marriage is for transformation. As you get together and taste those moments of amazing beauty and darkness all in those same moments, it has your marriage has and your relationship has the potential, well, you will be changed. The question is, how will you be changed? What will you do in those moments? Our pastor in Orlando, Florida, when I was in seminary, he would not only say this in premarital counseling, but he would actually say this in the wedding ceremony. He would look at the groom and he would say, Justin, you need to know that Nicole, that God is going to use Nicole as the scalpel to cut the cancer out of your life. And then he would look at the Nicole and he'd say, Nicole, you need to know that, that Justin is going to be the scalpel that God uses to cut the cancer out of your life. And he would say that. And this was a very traditional robed Presbyterian pastor, but he got the, the, the depth of potential transformation. And so here's a little nugget for you. Conflict, and maybe you've heard this before, conflict doesn't have to be bad. Conflict in itself, it can be bad depending on what you do with it, but Conflict can be good because it brings out things that need to change. And if you will allow the process of transformation, the actual conflict that we run from, that we go try to escape from by working longer or having different relationships with people we shouldn't be, those moments of conflict can actually be quite beautiful. Henry Nouwen, in, his book, in a book called A Dwelling Place for God, says this. This is very um, helpful about the idea of marriage. Marriage is not a lifelong attraction of two individuals to each other, but it is a call for two people to witness together and live in and offer to each other God's love. The basis of marriage is not mutual affection or feelings or emotions that we associate with love, but a calling to build together a house for God in this world. And so somehow in our brokenness, as we experience one another and, and run into each other and collide into each other, we can value each other and help each other experience God and value each other like God values us. So we can be uh, the very uh, value and finger of God on each other's lives in a beautiful way. So it is a taste of both heaven and hell. It's a place of transformation. Uh, I remember uh, the, the first year of our marriage was uh, horrific. Uh, it was very difficult. So um, we got married in 96. We went to, I went, we moved to Orlando, Florida to seminary in 97. And um, because of this whole idea of uh, coming close, I, there was stuff in here that I had unresolved from, from uh, 20 years of walking without God, making bad decisions. Uh, I mean, it just, there's a lot of anger in here that I didn't even know about. It was starting to come out at her, and it was, it was just, I needed help. So I reached out to one of my seminary friends who was also in the counseling department, and for several weeks, he used me as a guinea pig as he was learning counseling, and, and he would say, why, why are you blaming her for your anger? That was new to me. One, I didn't even know how much anger was in there. He could see it and feel it and when we were talking. And I didn't realize I was blaming her for it. And it began, it was a new open door for me to walk into uh, to be able to go have different kinds of conversations with her rather than be angry and blaming her for stuff that belonged to me that was unresolved. And I went, I, I remember this idea of uh, uh, 
um, transformation and helping each other experience God's love, there was some stuff in here that I was thinking about her and there was some stuff that was going on that I needed to share with her. And it was in the very moment that I thought Kathy was going to walk away from me and say, this is too hard. And I, I, we sat on the couch in our apartment in Orlando, Florida, and I, I shared a bunch of stuff with her. And she wrapped her arms around me and she said, I am with you in this. I love you. We will get through this. That's a picture of building a house. It was hard for her. She didn't want to do it. She wanted to get out of there, right? Because it's difficult. But there's a, it's a taste of heaven and hell. There's a place of transformation. And third is a testimony. Our marriages have the potential to be the absolute most beautiful testimony of the grace and mercy and compassion and love of God. It's the story of God's love. As we go through this process of tasting and being honest with what's going on here and we allow God to transform us, our marriages can tell the story that love wins. Our marriages can tell the story that hope is real and that forgiveness is real and that God and his hope is real and beyond. I want my 17-year-old daughter, Sarah, to be able to say, I know there is one who loves us. I know what the father is like because of what I see in my mom and dad. It's a testimony. And so let's just pause for a moment and ask ourselves, think, think for just a moment, can you name in your own mind what is hard for you in your marriage? Can you begin to name what's difficult in your marriage? And then let me ask you some questions. How have you been interpreting that? What have you been doing with that? His anger, her need to control, his complacency, her being scattered, whatever it is that's difficult, whatever the issue is, what do you do out of that? We went through a series here at Brookwood uh, on the battle uh, the first three weeks in January, and we talked about how the world impacts us, uh, how our flesh gets involved. That's some of what I've been talking about tonight. But oftentimes we forget the enemy. There is Satan is real, and uh, Jesus came to bring us life, John 10, 10. He says, I, I've come so that you might have life and have it to the full. But there is an enemy who has come to steal and kill and destroy your spouse is not the enemy. That might be a nugget to write down. I, I thought my wife was the enemy for a long time because I thought it was me and my wife and God. Well, I knew God wasn't messing up because he's perfect. And I was unwilling to accept my own stuff. So she must have been the enemy and I kept coming at her. So rather than uh, being alongside with her, attacking the enemy and moving forward side by side, I was at her, at her, at her. What ways, uh, so whatever that thing is, what do you do as a response out of that? How have you been responding to that, dealing with that? What ways do you hide from that issue? How do you blame your spouse for that issue? How open are you to allowing God to work and actively seeking, saying, God, help me with this anger, help me with this anger, help me with this, whatever it is you're dealing with? And another question is, how hopeful are you? It's a taste of heaven and hell. There's potential transformation and a beautiful testimony. 
how hopeful are you? That may be a thing because if you don't have hope that there's any movement forward, you will likely not take the steps that need to move into that. Okay, so those are some anchoring thoughts, I think, on the process of what can happen. I am a living proof that there's a God. Every time I stand up on stage and speak, I text my sister the next day and say, can you believe it, what God did? Because 25 years ago, you would not have recognized me from where I've been and what's gone on. It's, a, it's crazy that I'd be speaking to people about anything worthwhile, really, from the life that I once knew. Um, and Kathy and I are a living testimony that God is real in marriage because of the things we've overcome. Um, maybe one time we'll sit on a panel and share more stories. I promised her I wouldn't share too much, too much tonight. But Okay, so page, uh, page two in your booklet. Let's move into levels of intimacy. We want to get really uh, practical, concrete with this. Uh, there's a box down at the bottom of page two. Take just a moment and write down the names of eight people in your life, adults, not your kids, adults and peers, people around you in your life, can be the workplace, neighborhood, whatever, just, uh, and really in the end, it doesn't matter exactly which ones you picked, just write down eight people in that box. Ready, go. Okay, levels of intimacy. Put that down, uh, we'll go back to those eight names in just a minute. But for now, you can either write these, uh, these are five levels of intimacy starting on the outside circle. You can either write these down on the next page, uh, three I think it is, where you have the five descriptions. You can write them there or you can write them in the circles on the target to the left, whatever that is, we're gonna be working on those two pages. The outer circle, and I'm not sure if you can see this all the way back there, the outer circle is stranger. The next circle in is acquaintance. The next one in is friend, then intimate, and then vulnerable. These are uh, what I'm just offering to you as levels of intimacy that we experience in all different kinds of relationships. Stranger, acquaintance, friend, intimate, and vulnerable. We're going to do just a little group exercise where you're going to cluster together, and I promise you I'm not going to expose anyone tonight where you have to share stories and stuff that's going on inside here. I won't do that to you, but we are going to talk just in general uh, uh, together and kind of push through some of these things. And so we're going to take just a few minutes in groups, and as soon as I say go, you guys are going to cluster together, and what I want you to do is on the descriptions page, describe together as you cluster together in your own words, what's the nature of each of these relationships? How deep are they? How personal? Um, how much risk is involved? Like, how would you describe the nature of a, a relationship with an acquaintance? And once you guys get talking, I'm sure it'll be clear. You'll be able to say, oh yeah, that's this, that's this, that's this. Uh, what, kinds of, what kinds of things are said uh, in each of these relationships, generally speaking, like what's, what's something you would say in a relationship that's vulnerable versus what you would say to someone who's a stranger? Does that make sense? So are you guys ready to cluster together real quick? And you're just going to write out descriptions of the nature of each of these kinds of things. Ready? Go. Okay, that's, that's enough of that. <clears throat> let's, circle, let's, uh, let's circle the wagons. Let's share some of our collective wisdom. What are some kinds of things you'd share at the stranger level? You guys can just shout it out. Say again. 
okay, don't trust the stranger. Oh, small talk. Meaningless. Does, do all conversations with strangers need to be meaningless? Uh, but they, are, they have less meaning, potentially. What else? Skeptical. Uh, skeptical, okay, so we're not sure yet. What else? Say again? Direction? Okay, yeah, you're asking for directions. Hey, how do I get there? Hey, yep, what else? Standoffish. Communication is very cliche. How about moving into the acquaintance? How would you describe the move from someone being a stranger to moving into the acquaintance uh, situation? A little more friendly. How are you doing? You may not not wait for the answer, but you might ask how they're doing. You might ask how they're doing. You may not care about what they, the answer they said. Nice. What else? In the acquaintance. Sports teams, maybe some things that interest you. You're getting in a little bit deeper. What else? Facebook friends uh, can potentially be here. Or there's a whole bunch of Facebook friends that try to do vulnerability right there. That's too much. <laughs> it's a social tool. <laughs> Co-worker level, you may have acquaintances uh, in the workplace. Um, communication uh, moves from cliche to maybe a little more reporting. Oh, yeah, I got I to gotta go uh, get my car fixed. So you're reporting some facts. It's not just cliche about the weather, but it's uh, maybe, some, maybe some more meaningful things. You're, can tell, you're content to tell others what happened or what others have said. Um, it's, in my description here, it's void of any person, real personal information about the events or conversations, like um, how, how I feel about that thing. It's more just telling them about that thing. So there's not a lot of personal investment in it. How about when we move from stranger to acquaintance to friend? What's the difference between someone who's an acquaintance and someone who's a real friend? Trust. There's some expectations back and forth, because now that we're friends, I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to expect kind of what you're going to do with it, if you'll share back with me. What else? There's some more comfortability uh, there. Uh, we're not kind of dancing around each other, but there's some comfortability. Yeah, you might. So an acquaintance is someone you bump into at church on Sunday morning or in the workplace, but a friend you would seek out. Hey, how are you doing? I know you had that, that job interview or things like that. Friend, anyone, anything else with friend? Common interests. They might, come to a event. they might come to a family event, so we're getting closer. Relationship. Relationship, there's some shared experiences there. Real communication is beginning to unfold here. Ideas and judgments about things. You, you may not, uh, uh, you will say things to a friend that you won't say to an acquaintance about how you feel about things. Uh, you're moving into a little bit more risk at the friend level, but you may be, may be still on guard a little bit, maybe a little cautious. Um, because if, unex- if unacceptance is expressed, um, th- there will be some retreat. But you're getting cl- you're getting closer. Um, how about pers- uh, how about um, this intimate uh, or personal level? Um, what moves someone from a friend to the personal slash intimate? Higher level of trust. More time invested. T- true real feelings. You're bringing some walls down in this level. And so the key question is, what's the difference between intimate and vulnerable? 
Secrets. Worries and fears. Level of safety. All the walls come down. I define vulnerable as sharing information that someone can use against you to hurt you if they wanted to. And so tonight I've shared some things. I've said hey to a bunch of you at the stranger level. Some of you are acquaintances that I've bumped into here before. I have some friends in this room. I've even shared some intimate things with you, but to be vulnerable, to share things with you that could come against me, could could turn around, uh, I'm not there yet. (laughs) We're not in that place yet. Um, But maybe maybe over time we could get there. Uh, Fully, I'm going to further describe this vulnerable stage. Fully engaged, very exposed, uh, based on openness and honesty, complete emotional and personal communication. It involves the highest amount of risk. It it requires the the greatest, and we'll move into this in just a minute, the greatest level of self-awareness. In this level, I like to say this, it's connecting with someone who's looking for the battle that's beneath the words. So when my wife says something, I can see what's really going on underneath there. We're that close. So uh, just name a few things. You said it already, but name a few things that are required to move uh, from here into here. What things need to be present? Time, trust, interaction. Just, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, even though some people think that does. Forgiveness. That's huge. Grace, unconditional love, because if you don't love me unconditionally, I'm going to retreat. Common interests, similar beliefs, like values. It's, you're not going to spend a long, it's going to be real difficult over a long period of time if your core values about life and direction aren't uh, in significant alignment. Attraction. Absolutely, absolutely. First uh, John four eighteen says that perfect love casts out fear, and so getting to the vulnerable stage is getting to the place where you're not afraid to be able to be exposed, where you can be naked and ashamed. And oftentimes, I don't know if you've seen the movie where there's the circle of trust. One one of the reasons my marriage works, our marriage works, is because we have a circle of trust. Because our relation, the fabric of our relationship isn't always in jeopardy. We can yell and argue, and we don't often, but we can get into all kinds of spats because there's a level of safety there that because perfect love casts out the fear that she's going to be gone or I'm going to be gone. Um, and so within that, once you have that fabric uh, determined, and those are the, the marriage vows, I, for better or worse, uh, no matter what happens, if, if that's true, then we can argue about this thing over here and the fabric of our relationship isn't at stake. That makes sense. So let me just ask you some questions, some very personal probing questions to come out of this. And remember, this is for you personally. Where is your spouse, based on the descriptions that we just talked through, where is your spouse in this picture? And I'm not, I'm not asking for answers. <laughs> These are personal reflection questions. Because <laughs> then that's going to lead into a whole other conversation if we start having answers. How, and I'm just going to go through a series of questions that I think are really helpful to use with this diagram. How safe are you for each other? Do you allow your spouse to be broken so that she can experience grace or he can experience grace 
to become what God intended? Do you cherish even the broken pieces? Can you say, she's beautiful, even though that's there or in the midst of that? What wounds and words have fractured your trust? Look back at your little box on page two and just real quickly, uh, write the names of the people, those eight names that you wrote down, put them in the places that they belong on that, uh, the places where they really are based on our descriptions, the reality of where those people are. And you might have to cover up your page so the people around you don't see. But where are those eight people on your diagram? And we're gonna, the next question is gonna be uh, uh, fun and helpful. So write those names in there, where do they go? Okay, as you're looking over your little target there with the different names uh, in different places, is there anything that stands out to you as revealing about your personal target, the eight people that first came to mind that you put down there? Is, is there anything striking to you about where you put them? For instance, are there any categories where you don't have anyone listed? And I know probably stranger because we don't know them very well, um, but you might think just in general, how often do I interact with strangers and, and, and what, uh, um, how interested am I in connecting with strangers or the interaction that I have with them? Um, but why do you think maybe uh, no one landed in the friend category? Or maybe everyone landed in the intimate category, but no one's really in the acquaintance. Is there something revealing, striking to you about your target? Going a little deeper. Are there any changes that need to be made with the people you wrote down based on where they are and where in a healthy way they should be? Is your secretary at work in here based on some of the intimate conversations you have around the coffee pot, for example, and your wife is out here in the stranger area because you haven't had an intimate conversation with her in a couple weeks. Make sense? One of the most beautiful things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it not only reconnects us with God to fill us with life, but the gospel rearranges our relationships in a way that are healthy and life-giving and appropriate. And so you, one of the things you might come out of here tonight with is some rearranging of some boundaries that need to be made, of some pursuing to say, hey, honey, I know we've been here and here for the last couple months. I want to be here. Let's pray about figuring out how to get there. And rearranging so the target, so your relationship inventory is what it needs to be, what God's inviting us into. Where are you and God at? on this target these days? Is God a stranger to you because you don't know him real well? Are you a stranger to him in the sense that you don't share and talk through the most personal things that are going on? And so you have nice little religious prayers, but there's all kinds of fears and hurt and anger that God doesn't know about. Where are you and God at on this target these days? Can you name one significant thing that God is working on in you right now? 
anxiety, anger, maybe he's developing a new skill, a new gift. It doesn't have to all be like dark and negative, but is there something that God's pressing in on you, pulling out and working on? Because if, if, you're not, if he's not working on that anxiety in, in you and between you and God, and that's one of the huge things for me is anxiety and how I deal with stress and being overwhelmed. If, I don't, if God's not in the middle of that working on that in me, it will come out in my marriage and in my parenting and in my work. It will come out other places because if you don't have healthy intimacy here with God, you will always move to the place of isolation or immorality. James Mallory writes this. He says, we were designed by God for a relationship with him. And apart from him, we will never find the purpose for which we were placed on this earth. Our relationship with God is the foundation on which the fulfillment of all other needs rest. Without it, we place excessive, this is huge right here, we place excessive expectations and pressure on others to meet a need that only God can satisfy. My wife cannot validate me as a man. She can't, she doesn't have it in her to do that. She's trying to be validated as a woman. Only God can do that. It will place excessive expectations on others to meet a need that only God can satisfy. Excessive expectations lead to anger, frustration, disappointment, and battles because others fail to deliver. My, uh, just a, a non-marriage example, my two boys uh, um, in middle school, uh, these last couple of years have started their separation uh, from mom and dad a bit, and I wasn't ready for it. And it's been a year of me learning how much I found my identity and what they thought of me as a dad and having to separate from that. And so I had to go to God with that. So I didn't put excessive uh, expectations on them to appreciate me for being dad. Does that make sense? There's gotta, be a, there's gotta be a connection with God. And so that may be the thing you walk out of here with tonight is I've gotta get with God. I've got to. Last question coming out of this target here for you to consider is, do you have an ally of the same gender who's further along in the journey to help you navigate the matters of your heart? Men, do you have someone who's wrestled through some of this stuff who can say, I've been there, let's pray through that, let's work through the warfare in that. I've had anger issues. Women, can you, can you identify some of the stuff that's going on and find a woman who's, who you can at least peer, at least side by side and say, I'm wrestling with this to help you in matters of the heart in a different way than your spouse can do. This isn't to have any secrets. I don't have any secrets from Kathy, but there are things that I've got some guy friends praying with through for me and through stuff with me that are different than some of the interaction I have with my wife. I can share it with her, but there's, it's a different it's a different kind of relationship. And so the idea is for Kathy and I to walk side by side, forward together, not at each other, forward together while we're surrounded by community. That's the picture of intimacy. Okay. Two other huge and very significant parts of intimacy um, are self-awareness and communication. In fact, my mentor, when uh, when I was getting married, he was my best man, uh, mentored. He's the one who uh, helped me come to know uh, who Jesus is in some beautiful and amazing ways. He said, Mark, you're you're getting ready to get married. Let me give you one word, and you're going to need this word. He said, if I can only give you one word, this is the key to your entire marriage. And he said, communication. And I thought, okay, great. I thought it was going to be sex. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, what's that? So communication, I wrote it. And, 
it, it is over and over and over again, it has come down to communication, self-awareness, being able to communicate what's going on. It's interesting, uh, as I look back, if I could storyboard our relationship from when, we, from when Kathy and I got married, uh, we would get into an argument, uh, it would get heated, I didn't know what to do with it, and I would get in my car and I would drive away, and I would have to cool down, and then I would come back. And then uh, weeks and months went by, and we'd get in these arguments, and I'd get so furious, I didn't even know how to process through what was going on. Pretty soon, I wouldn't go get in the car, but I would just walk around the parking lot. And then pretty soon uh, after that, I, can, if it, I, just, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back on it, then pretty soon, I wouldn't even leave the apartment. I would just go upstairs in the room. And slowly but surely, I was able to stay in the middle of the conversation and just be able to say, this is what I'm feeling right now. And it took a long time for me to get there, right? Uh, self-awareness and communication. So we're on page four and five of your booklet. And let me just say these couple of remarks. It is absolutely, uh, it is difficult, it will be difficult to grow in intimacy if you're not aware of what's happening inside you. Oftentimes we are unaware of what's going on in there, what's even driving us, and part of the journey toward intimacy is the untangling of what's even happening in there and ways that we're reacting and responding out of it and destructive things, right? Identifying what we're feeling. And so, okay, I'm going to give you... um, uh, This this right here, what I'm going to say, is worth the whole price of getting in here tonight. Um, And that's this. And you know the story of Adam and Eve... Uh, this is the key. You don't, need a, uh, you don't need a master's in psychology or counseling to get the, the nature of man and woman. If you just go back and read about six or eight verses in Genesis 3 and the story of Adam and Eve, uh, Satan uh, did what he did to the woman. She ate the fruit and so on. And, and then uh, Adam went ahead and fell and, uh, and did the same thing. And they began hiding and blaming. And so here's the reality. In general... Men avoid and women control. There, I said it. You watch, you write that down. Even men who are dominating often dominate to avoid, right? Adam was silent. Eve stepped in and controlled. Where Adam should have stepped in, Eve, he didn't. He backed off. He was silent. Larry Crabb's book, The Silence of Adam, is absolutely brilliant for men to read. The Silence of Adam. And it's how men should be speaking up and saying, no, hey, honey, we're not going to do that because Satan just said this and it's going to lead to this. He shrunk back. And uh, you can just, men, just be honest in your own heart right now. Most of our issues are from hiding, from shrinking away, from avoiding issues. Even when we try to dominate and control it, it, oftentimes it's to avoid the real issues. And women... um, don't throw anything at me. Uh, women generally are the, are the controllers in, in, in the deal. And so that's just general. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. I just think that's like you, you, can, uh, you can see that in your own relationships. So what we're going to do, page four, what I want you to do right now is sometimes uh, what, we, what, will, what will your spouse say when you say, hey, how was your day? How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm fine. Uh, things, are, things are good. That was fine. What I want to do is give you some words on that page four to help uh, identify and name a little more specifically what's going on in here. So take just a moment and circle five words that you are feeling right now or that are really present and meaningful to you this week. 
It can either be what you're feeling right now or something you know is, is hanging on that you've been dealing with this week. Go ahead and uh, circle those words. And my encouragement is that um, at any given time, you should be able to name some of the stuff that you're feeling more readily because what you're, we act out of how we're feeling. And so let me just walk through some of these questions on page five that I think are helpful for you to gain some self-awareness because as you're self-aware, then you can communicate what's going on in the conversation, either that's related to the situation you're talking about with your spouse or just something that you're bringing up in conversation. And so the first question is this, is what you're feeling from something recent or has this been central to your experience for a while? Some of you are feeling anger in there or you've felt anger a bunch this week or this year already. Uh, There may be something that's just recently happened that's causing that anger, but it's helpful to know that possibly, wow, I've had this anger in there a long time. It's just helpful to know, is this a recent thing? I'm angry because someone stole stuff out of my mailbox and it happened to be a check and a gift card, which I was angry about because it happened at Christmas. Someone stole a bunch of stuff out of our mailbox. That's different than the kind of anger that I left unresolved for years because of what my dad did and didn't do for me. Does that make sense? It's helpful to know where that stuff comes from. Is this emotion coming from God or somewhere else? just helpful to know, wow, this, this emotion, God's welling this up in me, or he's revealing this in me, or this emotion is not godly at all, which is related to really the third question, is this emotion coming from a healthy place? There's, an, uh, there's a myth that, that as, as you look on these words here, there's uh, all kinds of different words, and they go from, from dark to light as you move to the, uh, uh, they move from, um, light to dark as you move across the page here, but there's a myth that happy is always good and that sad is always bad. Because sometimes you're happy, but you're happy for the wrong reasons, right? Can you be happy that, um, I'm not sure I'm real happy that the San Diego Chargers moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> there's, uh, I'm, sometimes you're happy, but it's because something bad happened to someone else and you were really angry at them and, and had some revenge, right? So you can be happy for the wrong reasons. You can also be happy for the right reasons. You can be angry for really righteous reasons, but you can be angry. And so just because it's a dark emotion doesn't mean it's bad. And just because it's a light emotion doesn't mean it's good. And so is this coming from a healthy place? Where is this coming from? Yeah, you know, it's legitimate that I'm angry that someone stole that stuff out of my mailbox. Or it's legitimate that my wife said these things to me and they were very wounding. That's, legit, that's a legitimate issue there that I need to deal with. Now, how I, how I act out of it and what I say out of it is a whole other thing. But actually, no, that's legitimate. Or you know what? She actually didn't mean that. And, and my feeling hurt and disappointed actually isn't really a healthy thing. That's me because I had too much expectations on her. It's just helpful to process through that question. What core beliefs are driving you to feel this way? Oftentimes, for example, I'm very anxious and it's because I operate under the core belief that I have to get this right, that I'm not allowed to fail. That's huge. No wonder I have a lot of anxiety because I, I, every time I do something, I feel like I need to hit it out of the park. That's a lot of pressure on myself. And so the, if I dig a little deeper, it's because I, I live oftentimes with that core belief that I have to knock it out of the park every time. I'm not allowed to fail. That's not right. That's not healthy. That's not from God. What will you do with how you're feeling? In other words, how can this emotion draw you closer to God? Sometimes you're just feeling, uh, you'll look at a sunset and you're feeling beautiful. What will you do with that feeling? 
you can just say, hey, that's a beautiful sunset, or you can spend an extra couple minutes and say, God, that is beautiful. Thank you for doing that for me. And you can move those joyous, beautiful moments into deeper connection with God. And sometimes those negative moments, you could say, use that anger that you feel, right? You can get angry at your wife for saying something that you think was way out of control, and you can be out of there, and you can go to the bar and have a drink to try to escape that emotion or whatever it is you do to cope. Go eat, go have that third glass of wine, whatever it is that you do to cope and find comfort in that moment. Or you can say, God, I'm really angry right now. I don't even know where this is coming from. Please come and help me. In that moment of crisis, in that crisis is crossroads, that's what that means. In that moment right there, what will you do with that emotion you're feeling? And then six, and this is the, one of my favorite parts of this whole process, is what does God want you to know? God, what do you want me to know in this? And sit in the silence and expect with anticipation for him to speak to you. I, I live, so I grew up, just a short story, I grew up, my dad took off when I was young, and so I was abandoned, and I was kind of on my own, and it's taken me a long time to come to know God as father, and so in reality, I live as an orphan a lot. I live as if I'm alone. I go work on a project, uh, and I think, I'm, I'm, oh yeah, God's actually here with me, and so I live realistically like an orphan, or I operate out of that emotion a lot, and so oftentimes, I'll just stop and say, God, what is it you want me to know? And he said, you're my son you're my son, you're my son. And it's starting to sink in. It's starting to come in. It's starting to become more real to me. And it's true. It's what the Bible says. So I'm not just making stuff up. The Bible says you are now a son. You're not a slave or an orphan. That's uh, Galatians 4. Uh, Sit in silence and listen for him to respond. I'm just going to offer that process to you um, to take with you. And like, that's quiet time with God stuff right there. You want to have time with God. It's not just getting through your daily reading so you can get on with your life. It's just sitting before God and saying, I am done. I need you in this moment. I need you in this moment. And then a question that comes out of that is, because this is very personal between you and God, very personal between you and God. The question is, is there anything, and not tonight, not this week, whenever it comes, whenever God leads you, is there something that you need to say to your spouse? Based on what you've heard tonight, learned tonight, felt tonight, as you're spending time with God working through this stuff, it might just be, I've got anger to issues that I need to deal with. Pray for me. Maybe that's all it is, is you're just sharing where you're at because you're vulnerable and so you're sharing without any expectation. And then the flip side of that is, how will you be prepared to listen to what your spouse may have to share? I have a drinking problem and, you, and it's a secret. You haven't known about it. I have a drinking problem, and, for example, and I just need you to know that I've been doing this and I want to get this fixed. And I know this is killing our marriage and it's keeping me from being fully with you. That's an example of something you might share without shame, without guilt, without all of that. It's, it might be an explosion. Things might get worse before it gets better, whatever it is. Is there something you need to say to your spouse? Prayerfully consider how, when, and then are, will you be in a place, whatever side you're on, to listen without judgment and shame in the middle of that and offer each other grace in the middle of it? So that's deep. That's a little heavy. Let me um, just point you to in your, because we're kind of wrapping up here, and uh, we're going to, so we went in deep. We were in some deep waters. 
Just take a moment and honor the, the deep waters that may be going on inside you. It's okay. I was, I was trying to keep this from being group therapy tonight. Um, it's been a lot of therapy for me, actually, just uh, talking through stuff. Um, but we're going to kind of come out of that a little bit. I want to point you to uh, this resource in your, in your packet right here. It's called Soul Oneness. And I'm really excited to show this to you guys. Um, these are different ways, diff- different ways we can experience intimacy with each other. This might just be a helpful part of the conversation. Uh, on the one side, you've got the, the pie picture of the different kinds of intimacy. And on the back are descriptions of each of those kinds of intimacy. So intellectual intimacy is sharing ideas. Creative intimacy uh, is sharing creative projects together. There's a lot of different ways to, ex- to experience intimacy together. Uh, um, maybe more than you thought about. There's recreational intimacy. Some of you do that really well. Uh, going to the park and playing. Work intimacy. Commitment intimacy. It's a, it's a shared commitment to a cause or a goal. You guys could come together and, ex- and experience some intimacy by deciding to uh, take on a, a, a child in India. Uh, sponsor a child in India or go on a mission trip together, whatever it is. Uh, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, conflict, you, uh, conflict intimacy results from the desire to face a struggle with differences in order to enhance a relationship. Crisis intimacy is what happens. Hopefully you're, you're not creating the crisis, but oftentimes a crisis will come on you uh, with you know, the death of a loved one or a child or infertility, whatever the crisis is. Uh, and it's the ability to cope and experience intimacy in that moment of crisis. Parental or non-parental intimacy, whatever you, however you connect in the middle of that. And then day-to-day intimacy. Uh, sharing the smaller tasks so as to create a healthy... And so um, this right here is if, if you can begin to explore creative ways to share these different kinds of intimacy, the idea is that you will have soul oneness in a greater area. If, if, there's, uh, if anyone um, wants to have a conversation, we have some couples up here, the, the seasoned Christian couples, if you have a question about stuff, and I'll be here as well, if, so if you want to come up after this and you have a question about, hey, you said something about this, where do I go for that, or whatever it is, we can uh, be glad to pray with you, talk with you, whatever that is. But if you'll just, everyone will just stand for a minute, we'll have a prayer of blessing together. And um, we'll kind of go old school a little bit. If, if you don't mind, I'm going to invite you to, to hold your hands out. Um, it could puts us in a posture to receive from God. You can hold your hands out and close your eyes. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going talk to talk to the Father. And then I'll also say some words to you. And so let's uh, just close our eyes and let's just uh, breathe and uh, have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for who you are and we want more of who you are. We want to know you more deeply. We thank you for hope and freedom, for the promise to make us alive. And God, we say yes to however you want to take these conversations tonight and develop them. God, we pray together that you would enrich our marriages in 2017 beyond what we can think or ask or imagine. Father, we pray you would break through obstacles, free us from things that hold us back. We pray against the spirit of a distraction and diminishment and any fear that we have. Father, we pray against that and pray that you would send your angels to come and guide and protect us this year in our marriages. May you experience the strength 
and grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ in your, in your own personal walk with him, as well as in your marriages. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you were encouraged by this message, you can learn more about our marriage ministry and other ministries at Brookwood by visiting brookwoodchurch.org forward slash care or visit our Brookwood Church app. Thanks for listening and have a great day.